following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Today is the beginning of a new sermon series entitled Old Words, New Life, Transformative Teachings from the Old Testament. On Independence Day weekend in 1995, on my first Sunday as the new pastor in this church, I preached on the story of Samson. I decided it would be good to return to the story 27 years later. This morning, we will be reflecting about an Old Testament story that is at least somewhat familiar to many people, though it is often misunderstood, and yet it is a story that has much to say to us today. Speak for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The story of Samson is a story that typically strikes people as strange, perplexing, even downright repulsive. There is violence and immoral behavior and not a single admirable character in this story. It's like some of the stories you hear these days in the news. Here it's helpful to keep in mind that the Bible does not portray characters such as Samson as heroes, as though we are supposed to emulate them. The Bible rather presents Samuel or Samson as the very flawed figure that he is. Samson is a part of a larger cautionary tale that unfolds throughout the book of Judges. The book of Judges comprises or encompasses the more than 200 year period from the settlement of the promised land up to the time of the kings around 1000 BC. The people of Israel at the time were a loose confederation of tribes. When they had any overarching leadership at all, they relied upon short term leaders called judges. The judges typically emerged in response to a crisis. They were not so much courtroom judges, they were more political and military leaders who often rallied the people for the defense of the nation in response to an outside invasion. A modern day parallel would be Vladimir Zelensky. He was of course the, the elected uh, president of Ukraine, but he emerged as the unifying and inspiring figure that he is in response to the Russian invasion. And that's how the judges emerged. They emerged as unifying and, and, and inspiring leaders in response to an outside attack or threat. The most exemplary judge during this whole period was Deborah. She was one of the early judges. She was the only one who actually functioned in a way as a courtroom judge, and she was a person of strong faith and character. Deborah guided the people of Israel to freedom from an oppressive foreign power at the start of the 12th century BC. The fact that the very best judge was a woman in an age when people almost always looked to men for leadership says that God's idea of good leadership is different from what people often are seeking. People at the time were typically impressed by physical strength and aggressiveness and pomp, but while people look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart, as the Lord later said to Samuel. 
People today often continue to struggle having trouble identifying good leadership. Perhaps we need to listen more to God. From the high point of Deborah, the book of Judges describes a long downhill slide. The subsequent judges, who were all men, got progressively worse until 150 years after Deborah, we arrive at Samson. At the time, in the mid-11th century BC, a powerful nation called Philistia had grown up along the coast. The Philistines were militarily much more advanced and more powerful than Israel and much more organized, and they launched into a long series of brutal invasions and raids against the people of Israel. In the previous years, the various judges of Israel would typically have responded to such attacks by organizing the people to create a resistance. But Samson did no such thing. Whenever the Philistines harassed the Israelites, Samson simply took actions of personal vengeance. In everything that he did, it was all about him and his impressive feats. One time he slaughtered a bunch of Philistines using the jawbone of a donkey. Another time during the night, he ripped out the gates of the Philistine city of Gaza, which amounted to destroying the most important part of the city's structure. Another time, he tied lit torches to the tails of foxes and sent them running pell-mell through the wheat fields of the Philistines. Through it all, Samson was not interested in trying to create social good. He was just pursuing his own personal agenda, and he ended up creating a lot of mayhem. We can see the same sort of thing in some political leaders today. Everywhere from the halls of Congress to the Supreme Court, where personal agendas often trump the well-being of the whole society. The stories of Samson conclude with the story we heard this morning, where Delilah seeks to entice Samson to reveal the source of his strength. Now here, the story gets really strange. Throughout the stories of Samson, he displays an extraordinary strength, almost like a biblical Hercules. It, it, there also is, is a, the, the fact in the stories that he is someone who never cuts his hair, and there seems to be a relationship between his strength and his long hair. Delilah, a prostitute who was secretly in the employment of the Philistines, tries in the story in chapter 16 to get Samson to tell her wherein his strength actually lies. He makes something up. He tells her, oh, if they buy me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried out, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. He falls asleep and later he wakes up and he's bound with seven fresh bowstrings. He snaps the bowstrings but again, Delilah asks, where does your strength lie? So he makes up something else. He says, if I'm bound with new ropes, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. Again, he falls asleep, wakes up, and lo and behold, he's bound with new ropes. He breaks the ropes, but Delilah persists in her asking. So Samson says, if my hair is woven and made tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. Again, he falls asleep, and when he wakes up, 
Lo and behold, his hair is woven together, made tight with a pin, and Delilah is shouting, the Philistines are upon you. You would think that by this time, Samson might begin to wonder whose side this woman is on and, and what her intentions are. And certainly it should be clear that if he ever tells her that his strength lies in his hair, he's going to wake up with a haircut. Yet, what does Samson do? When she persists in her asking, he finally says that if his hair is cut, he will lose his strength. Does Samson have no brains beneath his hair? <laughs> then, of course, there is the problem of the hair. What do we do with a story that suggests that a person's strength lies in his hair? Many contemporary people are inclined to just throw this story out and conclude it's a fairy tale. But the story of Samson is grounded in the history of Israel with a poignant spiritual message for today when we understand the story on its own terms. As is the case with many biblical stories, this story is only understood when we come to understand rightly the historical context. The key to the story is given to us within the larger narrative in the book of Judges where we are told that Samson was a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a person who was set apart for devotion to God. A, a person could become a Nazarite for a short-term period to have a time of spiritual refocusing or a time of rendering special thanks to God. And this is how Nazarite vows were most typically taken. People would become a, a Nazarite for a short span of time. But it was also possible to become a Nazarite for life. Samson was made a Nazarite by his mother at birth as an act of thankfulness to God. Nazarite vows included three specific signs, three practices that would set Nazarites apart as people especially consecrated to God. Nazarites vowed never to drink wine or beer, never to touch a corpse, to get close to a corpse that was considered unclean, and never to cut their hair. The Nazarite's long hair was a symbol of the Nazarite's fidelity to God. From the point of Samson's childhood consecration as a Nazarite, God began to work in him in a special way. The scripture says that the spirit of the Lord began to stir him, and Samson was imbued with an extraordinary strength. As Samson reached adulthood, however, he forgot God and just did his own thing. He paid little attention to his Nazarite vows. One time, for example, he scooped honey out of a beehive that had formed in the carcass of a lion, thus breaking the vow never to go near a corpse. Nevertheless, Samson kept his hair uncut, and God continued to be with him. What then was the source of Samson's strength? Samson himself did not believe that it was his hair, for even after Delilah shaved off his hair, he arose and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But the very next line says, and he did not know that the Lord had left him. 
and the Philistines seized him. Clearly, Samson's strength lay in God, for it was when the Lord left that Samson lost his strength and was seized. The crux of the story is that Samson forgets where his strength truly lies. He forgets that his strength lies in God. He thinks that his strength lies in himself. When his hair is cut off, his hair being a symbol of his relationship with God, Samson scoffs at the fact and says, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. He has taken his strength for granted and forgotten that for his strength, he is totally dependent upon God. The cutting off of the hair signifies Samson's final forgetting and rejecting of God. No longer acknowledged by Samson, even through the symbol of the hair, God departs and Samson's strength leaves him. He falls then into serious trouble. Like Samson, we may be tempted to forget God and to rely upon ourselves for strength. It's easy to come to think that all that we accomplish in life is by our own doing. People are often inclined to do this not only as individuals, but also as a nation. We can easily imagine ourselves to be self-sufficient with no real need for God. People may adorn themselves with the appearance of religion as Samson looked religious with his long uncut hair, but when people are paying no real attention to God or to God's will, the result, finally often, is trouble. In the early 1860s, for example, our country was in huge trouble. Although many people at the time looked pious, there was horrible injustice in slavery, as well as in many grievous social wrongs, and the country, of course, ended up in civil war. In the midst of those disastrous times, Abraham Lincoln called for a national day of repentance, and he made an assessment of the American spiritual condition, which sounds quite contemporary. He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven, but we have forgotten God. We have vainly imagined that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. We become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us, therefore, to humble ourselves before God and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Let us then rest in the hope that our cry will be heard on high and answered with blessing. At the end of Judges 16, Samson acknowledges his need for God. He remembers God and calls upon God for help. Verse 28 reads, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray, and strengthen me. And God returns with power. The story concludes with the death of Samson, but also with destruction falling upon all those Philistine lords who had engaged for years in evil behavior, who had been bringing such havoc upon the land. At Samson's death, Israel finally achieved the freedom that had been elusive during all those years of Samson pretending to be religious, but forgetting God.
The story of Samson is a summons to us to ground our lives authentically in God. Jesus calls us in a far greater way to that kind of devotion where what matters is not one's outward religiosity, but one's real commitment to God, to God's love and God's justice. Then we can live in the spirit of First Peter who calls us to serve with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified. Let us pray. Oh Lord, it is so easy for us to forget you, to stray, to begin to think that we are accomplishing anything, everything by ourselves and have no need of you. And so often we see that happening throughout history. But Lord, you never give up on us. You continue to reach out to us with grace, calling us afresh to, to come anew into relationship with you. Inspire us, O oh Lord, today to recognize that our real strength lies in you and that you are here to work within us now. Open our hearts so we might receive your forgiving and renewing power to lift us up afresh into a good relationship with you to enable us to walk as your people today, to join in your purposes in the world in our time. Lord, we recognize that you are at work all around us. We thank you that you draw us into the fellowship of your church where we can grow in faith and join in, in reaching out and concern to others. We pray for persons in this church fellowship who are in times of particular need. We do lift up those who are in times of illness and continue to pray for Lois Mock and Jessica Bennett. We pray for those who are mourning and lift up the family and friends of Carolyn Plaskanka, giving thanks, O oh Lord, for her many years of membership and faithful witness in the life of this congregation. Commending her, Lord, to your, your hands and, and taking hold of that promise that indeed we have a sure place in your everlasting kingdom. We are glad to be a part of a larger church family and lift up this morning our fellow United Methodists at the Akron First United Methodist Church and Lord, we do pray on this Independence Day weekend for your blessing upon our nation, praying that you would guide us anew to live in right ways as your people, to be the kind of society that you would have us be. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would then lead us to reach further outward. We live in such a troubled world, but Lord, you are ever at work. Empower us as, a, as together in your church we would be in mission for you today. We would seek to be witnesses of your good news and instruments of your compassion. Guide us as we work for a world that you would intend for us. Lord, as we share today in worship, may our hearts be receptive anew to your, your call to us, your spirit of grace, as we would lift our lives to you, O Lord, in devotion and give to you the praise. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.